The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. It's a late July Thursday evening on the main street of Hope, Alaska, and that means it's jam night at the Seaview Cafe and Bar. Tonight, the open mic style music is taking place on the deck outside, which fills the space between two buildings. The building that houses the cafe was built in 1897 by the Alaska Commercial Company. It served as the town store in one form or another until 1964. For a time, the structure also served as the town's post office. During the 1964 earthquake, the building swayed back and forth nearly five feet and was flooded by tides. In 1971, the building was shored up and elevated. For the next number of years, the building was leased out for different uses and became the Seaview Cafe in 1982. On the other side of the deck is the Seaview Bar. This building was also built in 1897 by the Alaska Commercial Company. Over the years, this structure has been a store, a house, and possibly a very small hotel since the building measures a mere 16 feet wide and 46 feet long. It even housed soldiers for a time. The building flooded during the 64 earthquake and was moved inland to its current location to avoid additional damage. It has been a bar since 1976. Diane Oldhouse in her Historic Building Survey report for the Town of Hope notes the ACC store slash Seaview Cafe is significant because it and the bar are the oldest standing wood frame buildings in Hope. Listeners who know the story of Anchorage, which sits 25 miles away as the crow flies across turning an arm from Hope, will realize that these buildings were built nearly two decades before the city of Anchorage was even a thought. How these buildings and the town of Hope got built is a story in itself. And like more than one other good story, it begins with a king and his gold. In the spring of 1888, Alexander King arrived at the trading post owned by Captain Charles Swanson in Kenai, Alaska. He arrived with a dory and a couple of oars. King had done some prospecting previously on the Yukon River, 
and when he arrived in Kenai, he asked Captain Swanson to back his new mining venture with a grub stake. A grub stake consisted of the provisions and equipment needed to survive two summers and a winter while a miner looked for gold. Swanson provided what was needed. King loaded his dory with the borrowed grub stake and proceeded to row his boat the roughly 100 miles to the area now known as Hope. Making the journey even harder was the waters of Turnigat Arm itself, which are home to the second largest tidal swings in North America. Early settlers gave Turnigan Arm the nickname Cannonball due to its powerful currents. Mary Berry, in her book A History of Mining on the Kenai Peninsula, writes, No prospector, as far as it was known, had rowed that way previously, as the going was almost impossibly difficult with oars alone, and no one had a gas engine in those days. However, King undertook the journey and disappeared from view up the arm. Two years later, King returned to Kenai with four pokes of gold in hand. He paid off his debt to Captain Swanson and tried to give a poke to the captain's daughters, an offer that was refused. He then disappeared into the wilderness again, emerging five years later to stake a claim on Resurrection Creek. It was said at one point that he was pulling in nearly $50 a day in gold. In today's world, that would be like making over $1,500 a day. King wasn't alone in filing a claim in the Hope area in 1893. Charles Miller filed the first claim for that section of Resurrection Creek, around two miles upstream from the mouth. Eight other miners, in addition to King and Miller, also registered claims. Alexander King's gold discovery on the southern shore of Turnigan Arm touched off a gold rush. News spread far and wide of the success of the gold prospecting along Turnigan Arm, with reports appearing in newspapers like the New York Times and the San Francisco Chronicle. In 1895, 169 new claims were filed in the Turnigan Mining District. Early in 1895, the settlement of Hope consisted of around a dozen cabins. By August, it was 30 cabins and many tents, with the population swelling to 400. It was in 1895 that Hope received its name. One story goes that miners simply named the city after the youngest miner in town, 17-year-old Percy Lee Hope from Kentucky. In another version of the story, the miners decided to name the place after the next person to step off a boat that was docked and bringing newcomers. The person that came ashore next was Percy Hope. The official name of the place was Hope City. Another story says that the city's name came from the aspirations of the miners. It was the place they had placed their hope for finding gold and their collective hope for striking it rich. In 1896, the rush to the gold of hope was in full swing. Soon, a second city was booming, Sunrise City, just nine miles away. In early 1896, Sunrise consisted of a dozen cabins. But by midsummer, it was the metropolis of the area and larger than hope. Sunrise boasted several stores and two restaurants. One difference between Hope and Sunrise was that Hope was a dry city, but Sunrise had two saloons and a brewery. It was reported that the distillery run by Scotty Watson ran around the clock and employed three shifts. Mary Berry notes that one resident called the town a circus, writing, Sunrise was as exciting and unreal as any circus, and, like a circus, one could observe all types of people there. Before the population exploded and all types of people might have been able to be viewed, one account reported that only 15 women were living in the entire Turnigan area early in the year. By mid-May of 1896, 2,000 people had arrived in Hope and Sunrise. 
1897, mining activity dropped off and people started to leave. By the end of the year, Hope City had a population of 80 and Sunrise 150. In 1898, a new surge of gold seekers arrived to the area, pushing Sunrise's population to 800 residents and making it the largest city in the territory. In the second gold rush, an estimated 7 to 10,000 people flooded into the Cook Inlet region. But this second gold rush disappeared as fast as the first one. When news arrived of the Klondike gold rush in Canada's Yukon Territory, many left to seek their fortunes there. Rolf Buzzle wrote the following of Hope City and Sunrise City during the Turnigan Gold Rush in the late 1800s. These two towns provided the base of operations for a large number of gold seekers, freighters, merchants, saloon keepers, and a wide assortment of gamblers, thieves, prostitutes, and other adventurers who are attracted to every kind of gold rush. Buzzle also paints a good picture of what finally became of the cities of Sunrise and Hope. He writes, after 1900, the population of Sunrise declined faster than Hope. Several fires destroyed a number of buildings in Sunrise, and the last trading post closed in 1910. The few miners that remained used the abandoned buildings for firewood. By the 1930s, only two people continued to reside in Sunrise. A small but stable number of people continued to live in Hope. Sunrise became a ghost town. You can visit the town of Hope today. A lot of the Gold Rush era structures are still around, and many are still being used. It's much harder to visit the place where Sunrise once stood, but if you know where to look, you can spot it as you drive by on the Hope Road. Sunrise City is now private property, and the buildings are gone. faraway places where imagination just gets lost and I would search the wide world over for one proverb that is true but of all the roads I'll ever walk I just I can't have you Tombow Dad former Alaskan, and the guy who reminds you that Motel 6 will keep the light on for you, once wrote, They say a person needs just three things to be truly happy in this world. Someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. I believe that Bodat's statement is true for places and not just people. I'm partial to the story of the naming of the town of Hope that has the miners calling the place Hope City because they've placed their hopes, desires, and aspirations on that place. In the end, Hope dropped the city part from its name since it didn't really fit the small rural community well. And while Sunrise City was briefly the largest city in Alaska before it disappeared altogether, it is the current largest city in the state, Anchorage, that I want to apply Bodette's wisdom to. Throughout this season of the podcast, we've been looking for places in Anchorage where things are or are becoming the way they're supposed to be for all people. We've also been asking residents of the city to tell us what would make the city the way it's supposed to be for everyone. In reality, we've been looking for hope. It's easy in Anchorage or any city to see all of the problems and become overwhelmed and even depressed. Clearly, Anchorage, as it is right now, is not the way it's supposed to be for all people, and it's possibly not ideal for anyone. 
When we spend our time looking for all the problems, we can quickly become hopeless. Noticing hopeful places, such as where one school in one neighborhood is breaking down barriers, or how religious leaders who could be at odds are in conversation, or learning how those caught in sex trafficking are being helped to escape, or even highlighting businesses that are seeking the good of the community and ways that the city leadership is becoming more diverse, can give us hope for the future. Dreaming together about what the city could become is another way of creating hope. Over the course of this season, we've been asking people to do that in Kaladi Brothers cafes across the city. But in order to move toward a city that is the way it's supposed to be for all people, Bodette's two other things, love and something to do, will need to be done as well. Our desire is that this podcast creates in listeners a love of Anchorage. Loving a place is the first step towards making change happen in that place. British writer and critic G.K. Chesterton once observed of the city of Rome that men did not love Rome because she was great. She was great because they loved her. The first step towards Anchorage becoming great is loving the city. But that's not the only love needed. Baudet says that it is someone to love that all humans need. We can think of this as a purely romantic thing, but I want to consider it more generally. Without people, a city is just geographical or architectural. It is the people of a place that make a city. Urban thinkers Chris Rock and Joel Van Dyke explain cities are transformed at the same level they're created. They're transformed relationally. For Anchorage to become the way it's supposed to be for all people, we must begin to love the people of the city. I would argue that we need to consider loving all of the people of the city, starting with those that are different than us and the most vulnerable. Bodet's final thought is that along with hope and love, people need something to do. Action is where hope and love are put into practice. The imaginings that residents wrote on the boards in the cafes in Anchorage will be compiled and given to decision makers for action. But there is action, something to do, for all of us. Maybe you wrote an idea on one of those boards, or maybe you didn't, but I bet you have a hope for Anchorage. And hope is where it all starts. What will you do? What action will you take to move the city in the direction of your hopes? In the 1896 United States Geological Survey's 18th Annual Report, there was a map of Turnigan Arm. The only two places listed were Hope City and Sunrise City. Today, that map would show more communities and hope without the city part. The only true city in the area today is Anchorage, and I wonder what it would look like for Anchorage to become the new Hope City. I don't mean Anchorage changing its name, but rather, what if Anchorage became known as a place filled with hope? What if we began to fall in love with this place and its people? What if we continued to hope and dream about what this city could be? What if we turned our hopes into actions? What if Anchorage became the way it was supposed to be for all people? And in that way, what if we became Hope City? And with all those lessons learned With the crazy long life that I lived already And the sky I earned I still can't seem
loving you just once was worth it, even if I, I can't. This is the final episode of season two of the Anchored City podcast, though I'll be back next week with a bit of a bonus episode. Season three will be released in September of 2022, but there will be a number of Between the Seasons episodes in the meantime. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for our partner this season, Kaladi Brothers Coffee. Kaladi's is a catalyst for community. Stop into one of their 17 cafes in Anchorage, across Alaska, and in Seattle, or check them out at kaladi.com. That's K-A-L-A-D-I dot com. We are also grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we are grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the head, hearts, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean a desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner.